Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house. It's Thursday, December 14th. This is The Gateway. I'm Wayne Pratt. The U.S. Census Bureau director says his agency has a role in fighting inequality. It will always exist. However, you can't define it unless you have the data. Coming up, a conversation with Census Bureau Director Robert Santos about how census data can help reduce health disparities. Missouri lawmakers will have to reauthorize a critical tax next year that funds the state's Medicaid program. But as St. Louis Public Radio's Jason Rosenbaum reports, a Kansas City area lawmaker expects a bumpy ride to get it passed. After legislators return to Jefferson City in January, they'll need to pass a bill reauthorizing what's known as the Federal Reimbursement Allowance. That's a tax that hospitals place on themselves in order to draw down federal money to pay for the state's Medicaid program. State Representative Carrie Ingalls says preserving the FRA will be a big priority in 2024. But the Lee's Summit Democrat noted that lawmakers had issues passing a reauthorization several years ago. There are a lot of concerns about our ability to get that through this next year as well. Ingalls says she wouldn't be surprised if legislators had to go into special session to get the FRA done. I'm Jason Rosenbaum, St. Louis Public Radio. Ingalls made those comments on Politically Speaking. That episode is at stlpr.org. The salary for the University of Missouri System Chancellor has approached $1 million through decisions in closed-door meetings. The Board of Curators merged Moon Choi's position with the Chancellor post on the Columbia campus in 2020 with no pay increase. The Columbia Missourian reports since then, the Board has increased Choi's salary from roughly $670,000 to close to $1 million. The newspaper also reports the university chose not to publicly announce those increases. A Washington University study finds online rental listings for St. Louis neighborhoods with more poor black residents are less likely to include a neighborhood name. St. Louis Public Radio's Andrea Henderson reports one sociologist says the study shows one-way landlords can place ads that reproduce implicit biases about black neighborhoods. Researchers analyzed more than 94,000 Craigslist rental housing ads in St. Louis. They found the neighborhood name avoidance was less common in areas with more college-educated residents. Researchers also found a number of ads that claimed the properties were in the Central West End, but were actually in nearby neighborhoods. Elizabeth Corver glenn is an assistant sociology professor at WashU. She studies inequities within the housing market. White folks who already don't know about Black neighborhoods continue to not know about black neighborhoods because landlords are not saying these are neighborhoods. Corva Glenn says whether avoiding neighborhood names on listings is intentional or not, it still affects who views the rental unit and moves into the neighborhood. I'm Andrea Henderson, St. Louis Public Radio. Officials at BJC Healthcare are again requiring staff to wear masks when working with patients. BJC operates Barnes Jewish and more than one dozen other hospitals in Missouri and Illinois. Officials say the decision is based on an increase in flu and COVID patients. Infectious disease physician and BJC chief quality officer Hillary Babcock says they want to protect patients from COVID-19, but other respiratory illnesses 
are circulating this season. We're seeing a lot of different um, respiratory viruses right now, um, and masks are really protective for all of them. BJC and the three other major health systems in the St. Louis region dropped mask requirements earlier this year. The founder of Opera Theater St. Louis has died. As St. Louis Public Radio's Jeremy Goodwin reports, Richard Gaddis led the organization for its first nine years after business leaders brought him in as a consultant. Richard Gaddis came to St. Louis in 1976 to present his vision for a new opera company. He wound up leading the effort to create Opera Theater of St. Louis and was its first general director. In 2008, Gaddis told the National Endowment for the Arts that he suggested opera theater focus on young American artists and intimate performances. I actually wasn't expecting to start the company myself. I was, I thought, advising them what they should do. And somewhat to my amazement, they came back and said, we think this is a great idea. Gaddis built Opera Theater into one of the nation's leading regional opera companies. He later led Grand Center, Inc., before heading to Santa Fe to lead Santa Fe Opera. Gaddis died Tuesday. He was 81. I'm Jeremy Goodwin, St. Louis Public Radio. The first elephant born at the St. Louis Zoo is moving. Zoo officials say Raja will go to the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium to start another family. It's an effort to save the Asian elephant from extinction. Raja was born 31 years ago and will move late next year or in early 2025. A 15-year-old elephant from Oregon could be taking Raja's place in St. Louis. The zoo also says Raja's daughter Jade is pregnant. She is due in about a year, and it will be the first elephant born at the St. Louis Zoo through artificial insemination. Data can save lives, and it can reduce health disparities. That's according to the head of the U.S. Census Bureau, who recently addressed the 2023 Minority Health Conference in Normal, Illinois. Robert Santos spoke about how the census has tools for research and the public. Santos spoke to reporter Melissa Allen. What I did in the first half was talk about the value of bringing one's whole self to the table in terms of creating more environments to get new insights. So we're talking about bringing your values, your culture, your life experience, as well as your technical training to bear on research and research questions. And when you do that, you end up creating unique perspectives that are yours alone and that can add insight that otherwise would not have been attained. And with this conference, the Minority Health Conference, obviously a focus is on health equity, on racial equity. So if you can speak to that issue at all and how that plays in here, and I'm sure the census as well, how that plays into it. The issue of equity, it will always exist. However, you can't define it unless you have the data to show the, unless you have the evidence base. And what uh, I did today at this conference was uh, offer several different census data products that can be used to help elucidate, identify, and then characterize inequities that exist in our society, whether they be racial or gender or, or whatever. 
Can you provide at all an example of one of those inequities and what we see today? Certainly, there there are inequities that our census data can show in terms of people's vulnerability to natural disasters. We have a tool called the Community Resilience Estimates that shows risk factors associated with different communities and neighborhoods within communities at the census tract level. And one can pretty easily find that communities that historically are communities of color also tend to be have the higher levels of risk factors associated with them in terms of poverty, availability of a vehicle, broadband access, health insurance access, unemployment, and so forth. And that means that those communities with higher levels of those risk factors that tend to be communities of color would have a harder time reacting to a a flood or uh, a snowstorm or tornado, those types of things. Where does the individual in a community fall in this conversation? Individuals make up communities, and so the characteristics of individuals are of high importance, whether it be at the neighborhood or the city or state or, or higher levels. We are becoming an increasingly and beautifully diverse nation. And so it's really important for individuals to see themselves in data and in communities so they can have a better understanding of who their neighbors are, what their needs may be depending on the characteristics, whether they're disabled, unemployed, their income levels, their education levels. We provide data so that you can get that picture so that an individual not only sees themselves, but they see their neighbors and their communities and they can do better planning. That's U.S. Census Bureau Director Robert Santos speaking with reporter Melissa Ellen. Melissa works at member station WGLT. Before wrapping up, we mentioned yesterday that the Blues have made a coaching change. Craig Berube is out. Drew Bannister is in on an interim basis. Blues general manager Doug Armstrong explained the decision yesterday, saying fans deserve a team that plays with more passion and accountability. They know when they leave the building whether they got their money's worth. It's not hard, you know, and we got to give them their money's worth on a more consistent effort. And if you're going to take two and a half hours out of your night to turn on a hockey game, you should feel that it's worth your while. Armstrong says Barubi has secured his place in Blues history. He's the guy that righted the ship that brought us the Stanley Cup. I don't vote for who goes in the Blues Hall of Fame, or maybe I do, I can't even remember. <laughs> but but he he's on my ballot. You know, he he's done something that great coaches before him have never been able to do. Barubi was behind the bench in 2019 when St. Louis won its lone Stanley Cup. The Blues' first game in the post-Barubi era is tonight at home against the Ottawa Senators. The Gateway is a production of St. Louis Public Radio, a listener-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis, theme music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. I'm Wayne Pratt. Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house.